Good morning, Tull Skulls. Nick here. Just a little request to you from me and Omen. The microphone company Rode is holding a contest that requires a literal two-minute podcast. Omen and I whipped up a little guy that we're proud to call We've Got a God for That. There are several categories that we're in, but the one we need help with is the people's choice. You can go to our page, listen to the podcast, and vote for us. And you can vote once a day, all the way until the end of June. If we could get the power of the Tull Skulls to vote for us every day, from now until the end of the month, we may be able to sweep this. So, please go to myroadcast.com forward slash listen forward slash entry forward slash 4168 pound sign. Road as in R-O-D-E, myroadcast.com slash listen slash entry slash 4168 pound sign. And I'll put a link in the show notes for the next few episodes too as a sweet, sweet reminder. Thanks everyone. Enjoy the episode. Lovers and the broken-hearted. Put on your best tweed coat, work your hair into a fetching pompadour, and throw yourself into the sadness hole for the next 45 minutes. Because it's time to talk talk to me. (laughs) I always keep really good snacks in the sadness hole. Do Do you want one? Uh, Not on that diet. <laughs> Welcome back, friends, to Talk Tall to Me. I am Omen Said. And I am Nick McGill. And together, for the next 45 minutes, we will lead you in a perfectly legal nighttime skulk through the back alleys of Prague Rock, where Nick, technically not violating the constraints of his ankle monitor, and I... After having checked in with my parole officer, we'll again watch Martin Barr as he sleeps. But not, not in a creepy way. No, it's, it's respectful. Yeah. We will happen to see that Deep Palmer's trash can is knocked over and carefully clean it up. And we will gently lick the car door handle of John Evans' Forest Green Mini Cooper for normal reasons. Yes, every lech an album, every ogle a song, Nick and I will respectfully make our ways through the entire discography of seminal prog rock band Jethro Tull, while remembering that absence makes the heart grow fonder, which is why Ian Anderson filed a restraining order. That's why. It's to enhance the romance. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, Nick, um, fun episode today. What Uh have we got in store before we jump into the main song itself. We've got some final pieces of housekeeping in regards to the album proper, Songs from the Wood. Yes. We have yet to cover reviews yet. We generally save them for uh, near the end, and I think we're going to drop them in here. However... Yeah, Nick, I ran into a little bit of a bump, a little rocks in the road here. Normally... Whenever I search for the Rolling Stones review of Jethro Tull albums, they come up right away, straight away. Right, yeah. Sooner than I'm ready for them. (laughs) I could not, for love or money, find the Rolling Stone review of Songs from the Wood. Mm. I found there was a mention of Songs from the Wood in the Heavy Horses Rolling Stone review. Okay. But that's it. That's it. So, yeah, pretty peculiar. You sent me, you found some quotes, New Musical Express 
says, one hell of a fine record and an undisputed joy. Yes. All Music called the album the prettiest Jethro Tull record released since Thick as a Brick. Got it. It was in the album hit the top 20 in the UK and the top got to number seven in the charts in the United States, which is pretty impressive. A very successful run. But but peculiarly, oddly, under-reviewed, it seems. So I know. I, I do want to put a call to action out there for any of our Tall Skulls. If you can locate any of the major reviews for this album and want to send them to us via a link or write them on a piece of paper and mail them to us, uh, please do so. Yes. If you somehow know the reason that the existence of the Rolling Stones review was scrubbed from all of recorded history, yeah, that would, that would be a great little tidbit. Because for one of their more successful albums, maybe that's it. Maybe they just liked it too much. And they're like, we can't. We they had can't nothing do bad this. to say, and so they, they they didn't say anything else. Yeah, they didn't say anything at all. Yeah, isn't that what isn't that what our mothers taught us? If you have that's no, the phrase. If you have nothing good to say, don't. No, if you have nothing if bad to say, you have no critique. <laughs> give them the silent treatment. That's it. Yeah, it'll make them it'll sweat. make them watch them more. That's it. That's right. So apologies for the interruption in our regular programming regarding the review. Nick, what else do we have? We also have something we haven't done yet: our dogs in midwinter. For this album, this is our albumly segment by guest correspondent Jesse Winter. And let's go ahead and listen to what he dug up on the album art. Let me bring you songs from the woods. Happy Easter, Tall Skulls. Jesse Winter here. At 1010 Studios in Long Island City, New York, beaming in for another contribution. Thank you, Omen. Thank you, Nick, for having me. I'm so honored to be here today and uh, talking about the Songs from the Wood album, cover art, vinyl itself, as it was meant to be seen and viewed and experienced to the listening public. It was released in February 11th, 1977. I was eight months old. A wee young nursing lad just trying to get my way in life and somewhere in the distance, perhaps a neighbor, perhaps uh, out of a car, Songs from the Wood was being played. And my eight-month-old ears must have caught it because all paths lead back to Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull. So... Diving right in, I just want to say this album was made during a, uh, a sort of equestrian, woodlandy period, which they began in 1977. While Ian Anderson now had money to buy uh, property in the country, he indulged himself and began to live in a more rustic environment and make music that was inspired by themes and uh, melodies and different different arrangements that Omen and Nick will talk about. I'm here to talk about the cover art. I love this cover so much, so much. It, it was a photograph, but they used the photograph to make a painting. And this painting is so detailed. I, it's, unbel- it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of wild to think that everything here is a breaststroke, but it is. And the person who painted it 
with J.L. Lee. And in the front cover, what we have is uh, a crouching Ian Anderson in the woods with a, with a dog and a, and a hat next to a fire. There's something boiling in a, in a pot raised over the flames with a stick and probably coffee. That's my guess. Could be a stew. Something for lunch. That's what it looks like. It looks like some dead pheasants or ducks. Some kind of no longer living animal in a shotgun. No flute. There's never a flute on a Jethro Tull cover, by the way. And I assume that this is intentional, like one of the, from the original releases, the later stuff you see, unless he's on stage playing uh, flute. So basically, though, he's warming his hands, and what I, my eye catches the red, the kind of the red cuff underneath that's coming out of his shirt. And he's got a vest on, and it looks, this is the way that I see it. And, and there's a lot of levels of interpretation here, but basically, for por- portraits, pictures of Ian Anderson often have him looking sort of uh, confused, caught off guard, candid, interested, curious. He's not really a smiling kind of uh, subject, but he's got this kind of like, oh, whoa, what's going on? Kind of inquisitive kind of look. And so he's doing that here. Now, I could imagine he's about to relate some kind of story or some narrative to me or tell me a story if I'm sitting here by the fire with him. Or maybe he's listening to me. Maybe, maybe he's listening to my story. Maybe I'm telling him a story. So now I, I become part of this little vignette, the scene that's happening here. I don't know what I would say to him. I love you, man. That's about it. And he would glance up at me like this and be like, whatever, dude. So that's the front cover. It says, with kitchen prose, gutter rhymes, and divers. I have no idea what divers are. Songs from the wood, Jethro Tull. It is a journey. It is an odyssey as these albums tend to be. Turning the album over, we have the back cover. There's a credited to Shirt Sleeve Studio. We have the track listings. We have some lyrics, kind of like a little phrase up here in the middle and other important details. But the, the main focus, and this is the, the iconic image for this record, is the tree that's been cut. We see the rings. Someone has put a record needle on there as if the record is the wood, is the tree, tree is the album the paper that's pretty deep and complicated metaphors here but we have uh, songs from the wood and then we have literally a record player manufactured out of the tree but it's playing the trees the tree rings it's kind of it's a beautiful idea I mean, this is ian anderson's idea he takes credit for it I need to give credit to Ross Alfini, who was there for me. He's a uh, 30 years ago. I, I shared an apartment with him, and he was held captive to my Jethro Tull enthusiasm and obsessions. And the poor guy, I had to send him a copy of the Ballad of Jethro Tull. He has the book. I don't have the book with me. I needed to call him and get some information. And he was kind enough to have a call with me and read for me from this period. What what happened? This is a beech tree. Ian Anderson cut down the beech tree and manufactured this pseudo record player thing as the beech tree. And what's very interesting is Woodcutter is uh, Keith Howard and is credited here. So he credits the Woodcutter. And I love this concept here visually because they were able to illustrate this idea just using really simple ingredients and materials and using the backyard and using the woods behind him and Take a do a little photo shoot, have a 
have a painting done and bada bing bada boom we have an album let me bring you all things refined galliards and loot songs served in chilling ale greetings well met fellows hail i am the wind to fill your sail i am the cross to take your nail a singer of these ageless times with kitchen prose and gutter rhymes happy easter everyone thank you again nick and omen it's such an honor to be able to do this and enjoy the show Jesse Winter. Thank you, Jesse Winter. Was that him playing the flute? It was, yeah. Oh, wow, cool. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's been taking lessons for a little while, and I, I I think it's it's Ian Anderson inspired, which is wonderful. That's awesome. All right, that is it for preamble, and I think we can I think we can dive right into the song at hand, which is Nick. It is P broke cap in hand. Let's. Take our caps in hand and listen to it. Let's talk tell to me song in ear. No, no, I'm unhappy with that. And a half minutes. Yeah. Feels like eight and a half years. Feels, I was going to say, it feels like a half an hour, but wow. Wow. O- off the bat, Nick. I, Upvote or downvote. You like this song? I'm disgustingly ashamed to admit that in high school, I thought this song was boring because of all of the like the ripping guitar mm-hmm. when i did not appreciate martin barr for the angel that he is sure i want to say that i'm speechless but i have like an essay written out in front of me of notes yeah but i'm yeah, yeah, i'm yeah. i'm speechless right now just hearing that song i remember you being uh, you know it's funny that you say that cuz i kind of remember you being a bit obsessed with this song when we were younger lyrically yes yeah lyrically with the lyrics yep yeah it's a lot like Fire at Midnight, which you'll hear next week, obviously, where I thought the guitar in here took away from the sentiment of the song. Ooh. Mm. Yeah. Boo. Boo. I'm leaving. <laughs> My cred is all gone. No, it's, it. you know, we all, there are many pathways to enlightenment, Nick. Yeah, I, I think, I think I may be with child after hearing that guitar makes sweet sweet love to me yes yes it is recommended that you that you wear protection while listening to this song i didn't and i i don't regret it in nine months you're gonna pay the price i'm gonna be the proud mother of martin barr's child wow yeah lucky not upset about that so nick there's a there's a lot there's a lot a lot a lot to unpack with this song yeah. And I think that we should do our best to to not get stuck in the weeds too much and really kind of hit all of our marks. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. But let's start 
with a quote from the guitar man himself, Martin Barr. About Pebroke specifically. About Pebroke specifically. Yes, I think that is a great idea. All right. On Pebroke cap in hand, Martin Barr says, I remember doing the introduction to that. Turned the amps full up and went for it. <laughs> Just sat and played. Of course, the idea comes from bagpipes, a certain style of music. And I remember Ian lending me an album of bagpipe music and saying, I think you should have a listen to this and get an idea of the notes they play. And of course, if you analyze what bagpipes do and try to do that on the guitar, you're really on a sticky wicket. I can't remember how the actual notes came about, but probably between me and Ian, we figured out what to play and we used to do that as an instrumental. Lovely melody. Yes. I literally just looked up Pebroke because I thought, ah, it, I thought it was mm. a name. Okay, so I, I have done my research regarding that. Okay. Yeah, it's, it is, to quote Merriam-Webster, a set of martial or mournful variations for the Scottish Highland bagpipe. Yeah, and that quick little definition doesn't really do it justice even because the Pebroke as a musical form goes back all the way to the 16th century. Wow. And the word itself means, in Scottish Gaelic, piping. Mmm. Pibrocad. I'm butchering that with my dirty Italian tongue, is the act of piping. And the musical form goes back even further. It, it even goes back sort of before the advent of the, the Scottish Highland pipes. Mm, okay. It also is sometimes referred to as the great music. I mean, if this is any indicator, yes, that is accurate. Right. Or the, or the, the big music. And that distinguishes it from other musical forms such as reels or... Mm, mm-hmm. Jigs. Reels, jigs, the other kind of dance, you know, dance music, which is usually faster and has a, a kind of a a more defined format. The things that distinguish the the pibrocade are this sense that it is a a more it is a bigger composition, it is slower, it has, like you said, that kind of mournful take on it, and it is it's often written down which is kind of interesting. Hmm. Like a lot of these songs, you know, a lot of the traditional songs are passed down just orally, but there is there is a system of transmitting pibrokes, sometimes with writing and sometimes through a, a kind of oral system of transmission because it, apparently they're very difficult to write down. Notably, I want to read you from the Wikipedia article, pibroke does not feel a strict meter but it does have a rhythmic flow or pulse. It does not follow a strict beat or tempo, although it does have pacing. Oh. So right off the bat, when we have that guitar come in, you, f- you hear all of that. You hear that it is big music. You hear that it is mournful. You hear that it is following a certain pulse, but not stuck in a, in a particular meter. Yeah, all of that fits 100% with the notes that I have. Too yeah. like how haunting, mournful, plotting, but there's there's a there's a passion behind it. Yeah, and that that it feels like there are so many disparate, nearly discordant pieces that are all working together to create this unified, cohesive miasma of of sound and 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 really just like sonic emotion. 
And I think if we listen to a traditional Pibroke, as we probably will right now, we can hear that what Martin has done is really try to take, not literally translate it onto the guitar, but sort of take the dynamic of it to mm. essentialize it for mm-hmm. his own instrument and for the context in which he's playing. And I think he does it fantastically. Very, very much so. I never thought to compare the sound of his guitar to bagpipes, but sure. I, I can totally see it. I totally see it now. Yeah, I never thought of it either until I, until I kind of looked up what the what the meaning is. Yeah. And then after, and you know, right off the bat, we actually hear some kind of, in the background, we hear Ian or someone saying, Pebro, Captain Hatton, take Bodden. Oh yeah, wait, like super, super quiet in the very beginning, yep. Yeah. Oh, it's, what a good song. We also have the, the flute coming in straight away. So shall we kind of talk musically? Yeah, let's, like, give me just one second, see if I can find, here we go. Lord Lovett's Lament, the big music society. So right there, I mean, we can almost hear, it almost sounds to me like Martin, you know, took that piece of music, turned Mm -hmm. it upside down and played it on the guitar. You know, it could be that. It is relevant because the the roots of the Pibroke go back to the Celtic harp, the wire-strung harp, Mm -hmm. and there are also fiddle Pibrokes. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's all all relevant. One of the first things, you know, we talked about the very introduction, and one of the things I want to highlight off the bat is Glasscock. Yep. He lurks underneath this entire piece of music like the void of despair. Yeah, I mean, he is undefinable feeling of sadness. He is depression yeah. in, in sound form in this. It's amazing. Yeah. But he he's doing so he's not just doing a drone which he could easily do, you know, in this right. form he's he's playing melodies, he's playing counter melodies, he's giving a sense of rhythm. And the other kind of really interesting thing about this song is the way that Barrymore Barlow finds his place because he has a tough job in this song because the form as we just said isn't defined by a particular beat or it has a sense of rhythm, but it doesn't. It's not stuck in a meter. Yeah. So sometimes you you hear him jumping in with a quick, you know, establishing a meter quickly and kind of pushing the song forward, and then he kind of lays back and just gives effect notes, you know, in a way. He's super splashy. Like he'll jump in with a single s- splash, a uh, cymbal yeah. splash, and and then kind of fall back away again. Yeah. Oftentimes, just underlining the the melody. Dum 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 dum. <laughs> You know, he hits each yeah. of those marks. Yeah. 
everyone is using their instruments to full effect in this song. Yeah. When the lyrics come in, we also have the organ or maybe the synth. Yeah, it's it. There are multiple layers of varied keyed instruments in this. So it's yes, it is difficult to identify and really kind of pinpoint what's playing where. But yeah, I counted synth. I counted piano. I counted grand piano. I counted organ. Marimba. Marimba's in there. Xylophone's in there. Harpsichord. All could be played just by one guy on the keyboard, you know? Yeah. Or or two people or in two, this case. Two people, yeah. It's... We, we have some lovely harmony on words he would say. Ian harmonizes with himself. Mm, okay. No He also does vocalization in that breakdown as well. Everything is building up one on top of the other. It's the standard. We start everybody off super strong in the beginning, but when we go into a break, a bit of a breakdown, that's when we start introducing everybody individually, doing their own takes on the theme. And this is a this is an amazing example because they it's that solid repetition of, I mean, essentially the same sound, but it's everybody's instrument building up on that and repeating. And it just gosh, it is the best Jenga tower I've ever I've ever heard. distinct musical sections in this this does yes. almost remind me of something like fix a brick or passion yeah. play mm-hmm. where within one song you really have these these disparate worlds that pop up like where we have the marimba come in that whole section is really distinct from anything else yep. yeah that's i have that marked as the breakdown but then the there's a second part to the breakdown where it goes to just the mando and then the flutes come in. Yeah, that's for me that's kind of funny because in the midst of this P broke, we're almost brought in we almost bring in kind of a jig. That's a jig, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's literally a jig because that has a specific meter. Right, right. But I mean but it has I feel that my feet moving and there are claps in there as well. Some lovely claps. Yep. And then the synth gets bonkers in that one. And Ian gets so carried away, you you hear him gasping at about mm. 540. You start to really hear his breaths as he's going in with the flute. Like, it is just, just gosh darn Are you darn referring to the part where he's like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he gets, this is one of the most personal things that we can get from Ian is is that, that touch of humanity that that it's not, 
doctored out, you know, that they're not cutting out the, the breaths, that it makes it more personal, that he is performing this for us. He is giving his breath for us. As, as intensely composed and structured as this piece is, it is also the most raw piece on the album. Yeah, it is. For In terms of lyrics, in terms of sound, everything. Everybody's playing. In they, editing, yeah. They just, they just let go on this. And I, I would love to think that it's like just a single take. It's like everybody lets go do this. Well, in the beginning you hear... Take one. Yeah. So at least some of it was the first take. <laughs> that was the take one, at least. That was the first take, yeah. <laughs> and the song always comes back to Martin's yes. extraordinary guitar. This is, for me, one of the most iconic Martin Barr moments in the Tulliverse. I often feel like, you know, sometimes Ian is like, Martin, I want you to do this thing, which is impossible. And Martin is like... Yeah, all right. All right. I'll, I'll do it before breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me see. Uh, you mean like that? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> you may stay for another 10 years. Yeah, that's that's it. He He's the only man to ever wow Ian Anderson except for <laughs> Ian Anderson. Apparently. That's, that's right. Shall we talk about the lyrics? Yeah. Do you want to do you want to talk about how many times this has been in concert before we? Yeah, get into I do. That? I do want to know that. I I suspect it's a lot. A hundred and eighty-four times. That's less than I was expecting. Really? Yeah. Really? I'll I I'm gonna have to go through the list and and take well, a. Well, they look. play more. Than, they play a hundred concerts a year. Well, that's true. Or more. Uh, let's see. Aqualung was one thousand seven hundred and thirty-seven, right. and let's see any other big numbers. It's sort of like they play this every third show, it sounds like. Budapest is 729. Wow. Yeah. Cheerio by default is 609, but I think that's just because they push the play button. Yeah. Cross-Eyed Mary's 898. You know, yeah, there are lots. Farm on the Freeway is 570. But no, I mean, I Ian's too old. He gets too tired to play this song, maybe, you know? So, yeah. So also, Nick, I want to I talk about the alternate title for this song, then we'll get into the lyrics. Okay. Yes. So often this is written as Pebroke, comma, cap in hand. But mm-hmm. sometimes it is written as Pebroke, parentheses, P-break, end parentheses, cap in hand. I've never seen that. Really? Where did you see that? Oh, everywhere. <laughs> I wrote it on the bus stop just this morning. And I heard somewhere, I heard in an interview with the band. I, I wish that I could remember this. Oh, I know exactly I'd love what to know this who is. Who was speaking? But and I think it has to do with what Martin said about how Ian and he would play this as an instrumental. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
apparently, because it's eight minutes long, this song would give the opportunity for some of the band members to go and have a pee. Yeah. I totally get it. That's exactly what I expected it to be. Yeah. Yeah. So they would often call it pee break. (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. Oh, those silly Brits. Those silly Brits and Scotses. Yeah, that makes utter sense. I don't know where you would have seen that. I don't doubt you, but like, I just, I I don't know where I would have seen it. Well, it's a mystery. Yep, there it is. (laughs) So Nick, let's talk about, let's talk about the phrase cap in hand, Uh which is both the title and a a lyric that we have repeated. What do you make of that? Well, to do anything cap in hand is to be humble, right? I come with you with cap in hand to Mm. apologize or to, you know, it's, it's it's a matter of, I mean, it's, if probably if you want to go super crazy down into action, the animalistic nature of action, you know a dog respects you because they will bear their neck. Hmm. Bearing your head shows weakness, shows that I am below you. I should take my my hat off in front of you because if you get to keep your hat on, you are of a higher station. So in terms of me approaching someone with hat off, I already am setting myself up for lesser person in the the dialogue or whatever yeah. the relationship that is happening it's a it's a sign of respect there's a you know sure. there's a there's a, a religious component to it you know if you walk into a church you take your hat off right if you meet someone if you you know if you're meeting your significant other's parents for the first time you should take your hat off yeah unless they're like super chill yo yeah i didn't wear a hat when i met katie's parents just so you didn't have to take it off yeah i like, took my clothes off instead yeah. <laughs> Clothes in hand. Omen clothes in hand. (laughs) And there's also, you know, when you have your, when you take off your hat and you put it in your hands, there is sort of a natural body position where you curl forward, your head Mm -hmm. lowers. And so it is, you know, it's, it's going further into that humility, lowering oneself. uh, Right. You know, a a combination of respect and almost asking for forgiveness. That's, yeah, that's exactly where I would go with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's see how this plays out in the lyrics. Woof. Okay. We start with setting the scene. Like a lot of the songs on this album, Ian paints us a picture of where we are and the environment and even generally the time of day that that this is happening. There's a light in the house, in the wood, in the valley. It reminds me of that. um... Whole... uh... The rattling bog. And, yeah. <laughs> in the bog, got a log and a rock yeah. and a sock. There's a frog in the bog, out in the valley, yo. There's a light in the house. In the woods, in the valley. So, yes, there's a light in the house, in the wood, in the valley. There's a thought in the head of the man who carries his dreams like the coat slung on his shoulder bringing you love in the cap in his hand. So his dreams 
are slung nonchalantly over his shoulder, lightly. Yeah, so so far, it's instrumentation and, and mellowness aside, so far, it is promising. You know, there's no reason to suspect anything at the moment. And yet there's a dynamic set up where you have this specific setting. Mm -hmm. You have a decision having been made. And the person who carries his dreams so lightly and with ease has cupped love in a precious and humble way in the cap in his hand. Right. He's carrying, he's transporting something fragile, something. Like a baby bird egg. That's exactly the image I was getting. Yeah. Makes me think of find the seed of, of love in each grain of, find the grain of love. In the summer day hold the Hold the first grain of love in our hands. Oof, there you go. There. there it is. Hold the first grain of love in our hands. Now you said a, a decision has been made already. Yeah. There's a thought in the head of the man. Oh, okay. Okay. It's not. It's not just like yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll go visit this. Where's where's sangria made? <laughs> it's you know it's a specific. It's a driving thought. I think otherwise yeah. it, it wouldn't be mentioned. Where is sangria made? <laughs> common common question. Yeah, yeah. And each step he takes is one half of a lifetime. No word he would say could you understand harmony. <laughs> so he bundles his regrets into a gesture of sorrow, bringing you love, cap in hand. And each step he takes is one half of a lifetime. No word he would say that you understand. So he bundles his regrets into a gesture of sorrow. Why do we have sorrow right here? I'm having a thought, Nick. I wish you wouldn't, but I mean, if you must. I'm so, it's inevitable. <laughs> you know, this reminds me a little bit of the song. Because, you know, I always like to, to compare Jethro Tull songs to other kind of historical or other forms because Ian plays so much with form and with precedent. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with the song, The Boy Who Wouldn't Hoe Corn? I, regretfully, no. No. Oh my gosh. It's uh, made famous by Alison Krauss in Union Station. Do okay. yourself a treat. Listen to it right now. Tell you a little story and it won't take long. About a lazy farmer who wouldn't hold his car. The reason why I never could take For that young man was always well He planted his corn in the month 
month of June By July it was up to his eyes Come September came a big frost And all the young man's corn was lost now that your mind is blown, face melted, mind blown. I can't believe you put one of those after having listened to Pebroke, Omen. My doctor will have words with you. I listen, I know. <laughs> but as you can hear in Boy Who Wouldn't Hoe Corn, the form goes there's a young man who is who won't do what he's supposed to do. And he loses out on what everyone else is doing, what society is doing. And, you know, the metaphor is he won't hoe corn, he won't plant his corn. And so by the time when everyone else's corn is being harvested, he's like, oh, no. Oh, and I need corn. So it's it's kind of like the grasshopper and the ant, right? A little bit? Perhaps, perhaps. But significantly, as you heard, at the end of the song, he comes to the young woman courting, saying, hey, Will you marry me? He comes cap in hand to the young woman, okay. realizing his mistake. And he says, oh, yes, maybe we could, you know, maybe I could be your husband. And she says, why in the hell <laughs> would I marry you when you won't even hoe your own you corn? don't even have and corn. She rejects him. As he deserves. As she should. Because yeah. girl worked her ass off all, win- all summer to hoe her own corn. And you just want my corn? You're marrying me for my corn? Get get out of here. Please. Don't need no scrub. Are you familiar with that song? That one I know. Yeah. I love that song. No, I don't want no scrub. So here I, I sort of am I'm drawing a comparison, but I, I do think that there is, you know, what if going into supposition land, putting on my supposition sandals and my supposition socks. Eating my supposition sandwich. <laughs> Let's say he has already rejected this woman. He said, oh, yeah, no, I'm too good for you. Uh, I got lots of dreams. I got things going on. I ain't need you. Yeah. Now he's had a big realization. That nobody loves him. And he's come and he's like, oh, well, maybe if I come cap in hand to this woman, she will accept me. Wow. Alas. I love it. Catching breath as he looks through the dining room window, candlelit table. For two has been laid. Strange slippers by the fire. Strange boots in the hallway. I put my cap on my head. Turn and walk away. As he looks through the dining room window. Has been Sorry, got to market too late. Yeah, don't be hollering out the 
passenger side of your best friend's ride. <laughs> okay, so bundling the regrets into a gesture of sorrow is explained by he's already made the mistake and he's trying to yeah. make amends. Okay. I'm so sorry I was such a dick. I mean, was, will you take me back, maybe? Yeah, marry me. I don't have any corn. I don't have any corn, but, like, I'm super hot. I'm pretty. Yeah, and she's like, no. Uh, I can't eat arm candy, thank you. I can't live off of arm candy. So why the third person to the first person? Is it just like a surprise reveal? Like, oh, it was me all along. I was that little girl. I, I was that little girl. You know, for me, it's it's a cinematic storytelling technique. Yeah, it's the pulling out. It's the zoom out. Or the zoom in, yeah. At the beginning, you, you're, you're zooming in. It's like, oh, there's the... There's the valley, there's the forest, there's the house, there's the light. Mm -hmm. There's the man, there's the head, there's the thought in the head. What is he doing? And you get closer and closer to him, and then you and then you see through his eyes. Yep, yep. I also think each step he takes is like one half of a lifetime because he doesn't want to do the thing that he's doing. Sure. He's compelled to do it. Yeah. Out of, ah, ah. Have you ever begged someone to take you back, Nick? Oh, my gosh. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm sure I can't I can't count the times. I'm sure I did some some very undignified things in college. Yes. I was a yes. hopeless naive romantic. Mm. Even more so than I am now, believe it or wow. not. Wow. Uh yeah. 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 So I want to give you another chance. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Finally. I want to I adore your interpretation. And I think okay. it's right. I want to give you the interpretation that I've had since listening to this song. This was going to be a project in... Oh, I remember this, yeah. 11th grade? 10th or 11th grade, I was going to write about this song. Did you? I did not. I went with Come Sail Away by Sticks. Wow. I regret it. I regret it now. That's the yeah. the one regret I have in life. crawling <laughs> back to Jethro Tull. <laughs> to make... This is my penance. This podcast is my That's penance. That's right. So I always read it as Pebroke is returning from a long trip. And I blame the fact that I read a lot of high fantasy at the time. Yeah. So you go off and do your hero's quest and you return home to your wife. You and, and for you, you interpreted the name, the word Pebroke as the name it, of the It's a proper noun of, uh, uh, yeah, as the, of the protagonist. So sure. I always interpreted that Pebroke comes home. After being away for, it's basically the the Odysseus. He comes home after being away from for so very long. Sure. And he's planning to surprise his wife. Penelope. Penelope. So he sees a candlelit table for two. He's like, oh, she clearly wasn't expecting me. He sees strange boots and strange slippers. And he interprets it as she's found someone else and he leaves. And on top of that... On top of that, I always wanted the additional layer of, well, she set this meal every night for him. Oh. And the slippers and the boots are gifts to welcome him home, to change right. out of his, his worn out boots because he's so foot weary. Mm. And he misinterprets it and leaves. Hmm. And he never actually needed to. Right. A simple text. That's it. Just say, hey, girl, coming home. What you doing tonight? Say, what are you having for supper? Make another. Set another plate. 
Make a third. Make a third. So is it because, is my interpretation because I didn't want him to think that his lady was cheating on him? You know, is it that if it were anyone's fault, it should be Pebroke's fault that he just misinterpreted it? I think that your analysis, I think that your your version of the story is is totally valid. And, you know, that the beauty of all art and music and Jethro Tull is that we can have our own experience with it. I, I think that your interpretation was born out of your your affinity for romantic tragedy that you yeah. had as a youth. Clearly, clearly I had something going on. I should, oh, yeah. I should take this to my therapist. I should find hey. a therapist and take this to them. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, that's that's tragic. Or on top of everything else, I never thought of never thought of it until your intro is the main character just a creeper? No, not just a creeper. Not I think ju- he's a creeper to in addition things. to being a, <laughs> a lazy, you know, haughty rejector. Yeah. But you know, and I, I never thought about, about my interpretation until literally today, but I, yeah. I do think that based on the text, there is an implication of pride having been leveled. Yes. Yeah. And that feeling, and you know, in the music, when you, oh, when you, when you know that it's too late and you just feel compelled to try anyway. Right. Just because you can't, you're so desperate, you can't do anything else. Yeah, my interpretation does not explain so he bundles his regrets into a gesture of sorrow, other than maybe the fact that he had to go away for so long. Sure. I don't know. I love your idea. I love mine even more now. So I'm sticking with my idea on this one. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. <laughs> Goodness gracious, Omen. Anything else? You know, Nick, I am just so happy to be at the stage in my life where I am not out in the cold staring <laughs> through the window. <laughs> yes, it is. We, You know you've reached adulthood when when those are your slippers by the when fire. When you could go inside. <laughs> when you get to go inside, right, and you don't have to turn around and walk by wolves and things. Yeah. But I, I'm, I think that there is, there's like, there's just enough given to us in this song and and my interpretation is is i don't know 20 plus years old at this point that i i would be curious to know if if any of you sweet tall skulls have had a different interpretation because i love omens mine is is stuck in my head do you guys have anything else there's just enough info in here to be dangerous and 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 i would love to see a different a different take, a different interpretation. Yeah, it's interesting to see how different minds connect the dots differently. Yeah, given this this same exact materials, it's like here totally. are here are thirty Legos, here are thirty Lego. Now now go and make something, yeah. and and that's what we made. We made a spaceship, a spaceship, and I made uh, a rose, a delicate rose uh-huh. that is missing three <laughs> petals. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Nick Omen, what 
are we talking tall about next week? Next week, super exciting for any number of reasons, all of which you will learn next week when you come back、yeah. to listen. It's a special episode. It really is. It really is, and and hopefully not just for us. Hopefully for everyone. Everyone gets to listen to us talk about it and and experience how special it is. For, yes, for us. <laughs> But it is. It's the final track proper off of the album "Songs from the Wood." It is "Fire at Midnight."、Mm, I can't wait to cozy up to that episode drop and warm my hands. Oh goodness, goodness! It is the light in the darkness. Until next week, Nick. Yes. We don't want. No scrubs within our listeners. Show us that you have the means by flashing those five stars in the form of a rating and review. Make it rain five stars in the clubs in the club that is is Apple Podcasts. You don't、yeah. you you know what you don't have to be humble. We'll we'll be humble. You brag about us by giving us five stars. That's right. We'll take care of the humility. Until next week, Nick. I am the corn hoeing fool that is Omen Sade. I am the hopeless romantic that is Nick McGill. We are the rage crushed shame hat that <laughs> is Feckless Moms. And this is the bundle of regret that is Talk Tall to Me. Oh, hey, Bruce. Hey, Tommy. What's going on, man? How you been? Uh, you know the usual. Not doing anything. Just、yeah. enjoying this summer weather. I love the warmth. I love not doing anything. I love sitting on my porch and whittling. It's great. Oh, I I see that that stick that you've been whittling into a smaller stick. Really yeah, impressive.、Bro. Really, yeah, I've, yeah, you know, some of my best work. Hey, hey, have you, have you like, have you hoed any corn? Well, I mean, I threw a handful of corn out into the field. Yeah, and and what the crows didn't eat. I mean, I've got a couple stalks over there. Nice, nice. I I literally have not not hoed a single grain of corn. Dude, who wants to hoe in the middle of June? I don't want to be like bound、uh, in the hoe in life. Like I just, I'm not about that, you know. It's we are more than that. I don't want to be defined by my agricultural prowess. Okay. Yeah, like when I walk down the road and I see over there hoeing, over there hoeing corn, 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 corn. I'm like, nah, that's not me. Do you think those people are happy? They don't look happy. They look sweaty. Like Sally from across the road, she she was like, she came over. You know, she comes over sometimes. She's like, yo, what's up? I'm like, hey, what's up? Does she? And she's always like, um, did you hoe your corn yet? And I'm like, girl, no. Do I look like I'm hoeing my corn? <laughs> Who wants to hoe corn? It's so nice and warm out. Speaking of warm, have you have you gotten a chill lately?、It's, Does it feel like, like autumn's kind of rolling in sooner rather than later? It's a little cloudier than it was. Yeah. Yeah, that's not. Was that a snow? No, that can't be a snowflake. It's way too early for snow. I was gonna get a new sweater, but um, they usually want you to pay in corn, and I, it's it's weird. I don't have any. I don't,、oh. I don't have any at the moment, actually. You know, now that 
Now that you mentioned a, a decisive lack of corn, what are, do you have any plan? Like, what are you going to eat in in the winter time? Like when most people eat corn, I, you know. I don't know, man. I maybe um, I could maybe I could like go over to Sally's and be like, hey. Mm. I I was thinking I was thinking about going to to talk to Agatha, you know. But I I feel you know yeah. I'm getting a stink eye from Agatha because the last time I went over there, she did you know what she said to me? What she said that Talk Tall to Me is a proud member of the Feckless Moms Audio Network. Oh, dude, we're so screwed. We may die this winter. <laughs>